Let's open in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the name. Indeed, what a blessed, what a powerful, what a forgiving name. Name given to us in truth and love and lived out here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for the name of Jesus. The one we look to, the one we honor, the one we praise. And Lord, give us a sense through your spirit this morning of just what that means in our daily walk with you. Thank you now in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Last week, we finished our series on street talk. And John concluded with this question. Am I, or as a community, are we being mission critical? For the next two weeks, we're going to look at 2nd and 3rd John, the two shortest letters in the Bible. Letters about truth and love, and I believe staying mission critical. And this week, we begin with 2nd John and are reminded not to forget the roots. Notice, don't forget the roots. The PowerPoint would have been more explicit than that, but you got me instead. When my mother-in-law passed away about nine years ago, I remember her having the opportunity to say words of blessing and prayer over... uh, Here I go. I I practice this not to get choked up, but I do all the time. Anyway, um, words of blessing to a number of her children, her grandchildren, and her sons-in-law. Maggie, as we called her, never hesitated to take the opportunity to speak the truth in love and firmly at times if she felt it was necessary. And one of the standing jokes in our family was we would see Maggie with somebody giving them the finger. Now, you have to understand, when we talked about Maggie's finger, it was not a rude sign. Maggie had this index finger that was a bit crooked because of arthritis, and she would get up in front of us and either tap us on their chest or look like it would be coming into our nose and share her heart and words of encouragement. I particularly remember remember her talking to my brother-in-law, Steve, Uh, just a day or so before she passed to meet Jesus. She pointed that finger at him and said these words. But first, I'm going to talk about John. We'll come back to Maggie later because the words she said connect with what I believe John is writing. I, I can imagine John, figuratively speaking, writing this letter and pointing that finger of encouragement as he writes, this letter is from John. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children. In the original letter, John's name is not given. But there's solid evidence to believe this John, who wrote 2nd and 3rd John, is indeed the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel and the first letter of this group of letters that were circulated. The first letter was circulated throughout Asia to a number of churches, and now John sort of filters down to the next step, and he writes it 
to a church. He says, I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children. And when the letter ends, he says, and I send greetings from your sister, the church here, from her children. So it's, it's a communique written in love and encouragement. The letters were written to confront teaching that had come into the church. People that were saying, really, you know, Jesus was not the real Messiah. The Messiah, the Spirit, actually came upon Jesus when he was baptized and left him when he was dying on the cross. He didn't really, the Messiah wasn't really in human form. He didn't come as a baby. But we have been enlightened to share with you the truth. We have the spiritual connection. It's the spirit that matters, really, because the body and physical things are not good. They're not evil. But listen to us. So John is writing this letter to remind people in a personal way, don't forget the roots. It's mission critical. We have a message to share about Jesus, but don't forget the anchor of it, where it comes from. So first, he says, Christian love is rooted in God's word. Listen again. He says, I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, her children whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. John really says three things that are important for us in understanding the roots. Truth and love are intricately linked together. Whom I love in the truth. It's not just about knowing spiritually the truth. There's a connection between love and truth. And the love he's talking about, you've heard it talked about here. It's this agape love. It's not a sentimental love that ebbs and flows with a tide. It's not an attitude that says, Ah, I feel like liking that person today. But they really hurt me. And maybe sometime. Instead, it's an attitude that says, No matter what they've done, I will always seek their highest good. I will not hold bitterness. And it's a love only possible because Jesus expressed it to us as God, as a human. He modeled it for us. I don't know if you remember when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip, a few seconds later, says, Show us the Father. And Jesus looked at him and said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you still don't know? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It's a love found in Jesus and it's supposed to be found here with us as the local church with one another, and it's supposed to be modeled. If they see us, they're supposed to see Jesus. They're supposed to see God. And it's not 
exclusive to our little fellowship. It's inclusive. My daughter-in-law, Vicky, said to Jennifer at one time, you know, the church is so different from every other place I've been. She said, it's the only place I come into and we find ourselves associating with people we normally wouldn't associate with in everyday life. People that are not of our socioeconomic status. People that are not of our race. People that do not dress like we are. No. Jesus says it's totally inclusive in truth and love. But he also says, John writes, not only are truth and love intricately linked together, truth can be known. He writes, everybody else who knows the truth because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. John, now probably the last living apostle. All the others have died. The only one we're not sure about is Thomas. We think he went to India and he might have still been living. But as far as we know from the others who were in this area of Asia, Jerusalem, they had all died. And John reminds those in the church not to forget the roots. Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus as human and all of the other disciples and he himself had lived with Jesus. They had seen him as God. In a sense, this letter also reminds them of the first letter that was circulated. And this isn't a dry doctrine sent out. You have to see this as a personal letter. Who is written, he's writing it to friends. Like, it oozes John's personality and love. When we read scripture, we need to see the people behind it. This John, who said in his first letter... We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. And now, this is the word of life. He has been revealed to us. And that word revealing the original language is like a curtain being drawn back. So you can see what is really happening. He says, we proclaim to you that he is the truth And the life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, that you may have fellowship with us. So, truth and love are intricately linked together. Truth can be known, and then He says, Truth is alive within us and is eternal. John sees no separation between God. And Jesus as part of our inheritance as we live in truth and love. And it's possible, not because we have the enlightenment within ourselves, because Jesus sent us someone after he left to live within us, to guide us into the truth. The words from the last supper together... In John 14, Jesus said, I won't abandon you as orphans. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him 
because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And then he would say again in John 15, I'll send you another, I'll send you an advocate. The spirit of truth, he will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And then he adds, and you also must testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Mission critical. They have been with Jesus from the beginning. They are told they have to testify about him, but they are also told, don't forget the roots. We've seen him. We know him. It's possible for you to see and know him because of the Holy Spirit. John, after so many years, has not lost his excitement, his love, and the message that says, above everything else, it's Jesus. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. I'm telling you, we've seen him. We have a story. John Lennox, an apologist but a professor of pure mathematics and also a philosopher from Oxford, shared in one of his seminars that in all his discussions with atheists, with agnostics, and with those who are seeking the truth, the one truth that nobody can take away from you as a follower of Jesus is your story. Your story should say, no matter if I don't have the answers right now, Jesus has transformed my life. He means everything to me. I fail at that sometimes. But it's a good reminder to say, no matter what they don't believe, you have your story, your personal story, that Jesus is alive and well within you. Truth and love are both objective and personal, and they go hand in hand. And so John says, not only do we know truth and love, but knowing God's truth is equal to living in love. From verses 4 to 6, he writes these words. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth. I like the New International Version that says, and find them walking in the truth. It's that sense of a continuous, ongoing process. That they're following Jesus, they're walking, they're growing. And then he says, I'm writing to remind you, dear friends. And actually in the literal it says, I urge you, dear lady. Because he was initially saying to the chosen lady. But it's this idea. I urge you. I'm writing to remind you. This is not a new commandment. You should love one another. This commandment we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. John again says, this is a behavioral lifestyle, guys. And everyone else. I've met some of the people, they're living like that. They're walking in the truth. It's happening in their lives because they're rooted in truth 
in knowing truth and living it out. And John says once again, thinking back to the beginning, this isn't a new commandment. You've heard this before from me. You've heard it from Jesus when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's from the Old Testament. And then Jesus, in John's Gospel, the Last Supper, says, I'm giving you a new commandment because you've seen what I've done here. You've seen how I've loved you. You've seen me wash your feet. You've seen me live with you for these years. You must love one another, and by this, the world will know you are my disciples or followers. And this argument of walk in the truth, walk in obedience, love one another, it's like this circular argument that goes round and round and should ever be growing within us, centering in that it's all possible because at the center of it, is Jesus Christ, the founder of our faith, who was with God in the beginning and is with God now, and his spirit is with us until we see him again. But John is not sort of living in a world that is, oh, everything is daisies and everything like this. He says, you know something? Our fellowship should be marked by love and truth. But we need to avoid extremisms of one or the other. John Stott, I really like how he wrote it. He said, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. We need to be aware of and be prepared to guard the truth and guard love. And so now he addresses in a several verses the issue of deceivers. And in the original language, again, the word deceiver actually means fox. Because often deceivers come in not with an abrupt statement of, you can't believe that. They weave their way in. Did Jesus really come in human flesh? Remember how it first started in Genesis? Did God really say that? It's sly. It's deceptive. And he says, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Then he says, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with Christ, with God, I should say, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with the Father and the Son. 
If anyone comes to your meeting and doesn't teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people become a partner in their evil work. There's a lot here, but but this morning I'm only going to mention three points. First, in order to discern the truth, we must recognize what isn't the truth. And John says, watch out, be diligent. It's a reminder, I believe, that he's saying, grow your roots down deep. He says, remain in Jesus. The same word Jesus used in John 15, 10 times in 10 verses. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. How do we remain in Jesus? By knowing him. By having fellowship with him. That we can say, I hear your questions, but you know something? I know Jesus. I know what he's doing in my life. I know how he's forgiven me. I know how he's allowed me to forgive others. So John says, remain. Second, we have to understand the context regarding the false teachers. At that time, churches were house churches, local churches. And, and traveling missionaries would circle around, around and visit and teach the truth about Jesus. But there are also deceivers going the same way, trying to get into the meeting to be given a forum to teach what isn't truth. And John says, be aware, be diligent. He says, they have wandered. And again, the word for wander is really interesting when you think of wandering. If you wander off some, a path, it's you leave what is true. You leave a known way. And he's saying, I should say he's not saying Don't learn. He's not saying don't learn. Don't increase your knowledge about Jesus. He's just saying, watch out. Be careful. I don't know a lot of Spanish, but one of my favorite words for watch out is cuidado. I can remember my daughter-in-law, and I'm walking along talking, and I'm about to trip over something, and she grabs on and she says, Dad, cuidado. Oh, okay. But it's that watch out. Work at it. Know Christ. What it isn't saying is not to be inclusive of loving our neighbors. It isn't saying don't have any contact with those who do not believe Jesus. Otherwise, our mission fails. We're to take the truth. We're to express the truth. But there's a difference between expressing the truth one-on-one, face-to-face, and talking with people versus giving a public setting to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to come and teach here at Village Green or any other place as a public way and thereby say what he's saying we, we probably believe because we've given that person, he or she, a public forum. Third, 
Our love for others should never undermine our loyalty to the truth about Jesus. And he's very clear not to be partners with those who teach and deceive about who Jesus is. Two weeks ago, Steve Mills, a former pastor here at Village Green, wrote an article. It was actually on Canada Day. And it was in response to another person who had written an article. And I recommend the whole article if you have a chance to look at it. It's in the Free Press July 1st. But just a couple of things he said. In responding to this person's article, the person had written, The best path to getting along with those of different faith traditions is to downplay apparently exclusionary statements found in the respective scriptures of those faiths, while building on values common to them all. Sounds good. Steve pointed out, and the article's longer, but Steve pointed out that Jesus was very clear and made exclusionary statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But even more statements, bolder statements in the I am statements throughout John that gave rise to his followers' conviction that Jesus indeed was the Son of God. He was exclusive and wanted our worship only. Everything else would come second. So Steve went on to say, even though it's possible to have respectful dialogue with others of equal but opposite conviction while maintaining a genuinely friendly atmosphere and relationships, in the end, even if others choose to hate me and my faith, my duty is to love them and do good to them regardless. In any event, I needn't relinquish core convictions in order to get along. Finally, we are rooted, as John closes, in joy and fellowship. He writes these words, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. And next week we'll talk a bit more about face to face. But John wrote a very personal letter. And we like to receive personal letters. One of the danger of any form of written communication is you don't have the person's body language. You don't have their tone of voice. You can't see them. You might misinterpret what he's saying. And so John is saying, I'm writing this. This is truth. But I want to visit you. I want to talk with you. I love you. I can't wait to get there. It puts an exclamation mark on all of his preceding words in his letter that says, the command to love one another in truth and love becomes reality when we are in fellowship and enjoy and enjoy being with one another. Let me return to the beginning. As one person used to say, now for the rest of the story. <laughs> Maggie pointed her finger at Steve and simply said, make sure you tell them about Jesus. Make sure you tell them about Jesus. 
Jesus and sharing his truth, his love with her family, friends, and neighbors was mission critical for Maggie. And she never forgot it in the 65-plus years she was a Christian. And really, isn't that the message of John that he wrote to us today? Make sure you tell them about Jesus. He's poured out his heart to say, tell them about Jesus. Let me go back to the beginning, verse 3. The roots of everything, five words. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, and love. All originate in God, all are accessed in Christ, and all are accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Mission critical is founded in knowing Jesus and living in truth and love. Don't forget the roots. As the worship team comes now, let's pray. And I would remind everyone that there is a prayer room across the foyer. If something has struck you today about what's been said, please, there are people there that are willing to pray with you. If you just need time to pray silently, that's fine too. But thank you for being here this morning. Let's go. Lord, I thank you that indeed more than 2,000 years later, the roots of remaining in you are still vital and important in our lives. That the truth hasn't changed. That you, above all else, hold the truth, hold life, and encourage us to have fellowship with you and one another. Thank you for this morning and bless this time, Lord. In your name, amen.